Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at PCRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, things get messy. And they're starting to get messy now in the CRC. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. We also want to say a huge thank you to all those who have supported us on Patreon. It means so much to us, and your donation gives us the ability to keep putting out content and keep leading Reformation in the CRC. You can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. We have a modest goal of 20 supporters at $5 a month. You can also support us by sharing our content. Help us spread these conversations throughout the denomination. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Scott Mullenberg. So, Scott, why don't you kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family and your church? Yeah, um, my name is Scott Mullenberg. I uh, currently live in Edgerton, Minnesota, which is uh, southwest Minnesota. It's about an hour uh, from the South Dakota border and an hour from the Iowa border, just so down there in that little corner. Um, born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska, and um, grew up in a, a, a lovely family, and um, parents have been married for uh, coming up on 40 years, uh, just past 40 years. Um, I was one of four, and so I have two sisters and a brother, um, and we were kept very busy with uh, things around the house and with sports of all kinds, um, baseball and basketball, a lot of a lot of those kind of things going on. Um, we attended, uh, when my parents moved to Omaha uh, in 1981, um, they started attending Prairie Lane Christian Reformed Church uh, right there in Omaha. And so that was the church that I was born and raised in. Uh, good church, um, solid church. Um, and so good memories uh, of that. Um, Sports, like I said, sports uh, dominated um, my life and my schedule for the first 20 years of my life, I'd say. Um, Playing uh, baseball and basketball, uh, playing baseball a little bit in college. And um, so things just dominated um, uh, athletically um, in terms of the schedule and priorities. And then uh, I'd say it was a little bit after college. Uh, maybe a year or two out of college, that the that the draw towards ministry kind of started to develop. Um, I was involved in a number of Bible studies in college, and always found those very meaningful and helpful. Um, and I got connected with one church in particular, uh, Omaha Bible Church. It's uh, non-denominational on paper, uh, but actually in practice and in theology, they were actually way more uh, confessionally reformed. Um, then, then looking back, I would even say my, my home church was, uh, the CRC growing up. And so I got involved with them and, um, they had a pastoral internship program. That was a three-year program that had guys, they, they would 
they would have guys do this internship program who uh, were going to be ministry leaders in their church, um, future elders, future deacons, guys that wanted to go to seminary. And so they put us through the ringer. Um, it was a three-year program. It was every Friday morning. We would meet at 6 a.m. And then uh, for years two and three of the program, we would start meeting at 4.45 in the morning on Friday mornings to go through Greek um, before wow. uh, the class began. And so they introduced me. So bear in mind, again, this is a non-denominational Reformed Baptist church. And they had us go through and digest, as in like summarize in writing, um, all of Louis Burkhoff's, uh, his prolegomena, and then his systematics. Um, and I had never heard of him. And that's a CRC uh, legacy um, and, uh, and an individual that taught at Calvin Seminary for many years, and I had never heard of him. And uh, so actually, my, my love for the Reformed faith, I think, was actually triggered by a non-denominational Baptist church. Um, but it was the same theology, and I just felt myself wondering. Uh, I, just, I found myself thinking I'm late to the party. Um, mm. Now, I'm sure that it was there when I was a kid. Um, but you don't have ears to hear probably when you're a young, immature uh, kid that's only focused on sports. So I'm sure it was there um, growing up, the Reformed Confessions and Theology. I just was not tuned into it. So when I found it, so to speak, um, in my early 20s, uh, it really lit a fire. And so that was three years um, of pretty intense training. Um, and then I went off to Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Um, I met my wife, um, Rebecca, met her in Omaha um, at Omaha Bible Church. So that was a, a lovely providence of the Lord. We were married in November of 2013. And then by the summer of 2014, uh, we are in my car driving across the country um, for me to begin seminary studies in Philadelphia in the fall hmm. of 2014. And uh, so that was the next four years. And I uh, got connected with a lot of guys out there, a lot of churches out there. Um, you can throw a baseball and hit about five Presbyterian churches from any direction out there, which was great. <laughs> That was a really good place to be church-wise. They were uh, um, such a blessing to be out there. And um, yeah, always, always kind of knew I was going to go back into the CRC. And I had a lot of questions about that from other guys at seminary um, because they knew the landscape honestly better than I even did. Um, so, but we, we attended an OPC church out there, Calvary OPC in Glenside. And then for a little bit of the time, we attended uh, New Life Dresher, PCA Church, and then also Trinity OPC in Hatboro, um, Pennsylvania. So we loved our time out there. It was incredibly hard. Um, my wife and I both worked uh, overnight. Um, she was a nurse, worked three nights a week, and I was a security guard at a private house out there. And so I worked the other two nights of the week. Um, our two girls were born out there. Um, our seven-year-old daughter and our soon-to-be six-year-old daughter were both born out in Philly. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a hard four years. Um, the curriculum was, um, was substantial, um, but I'm, I'm so thankful for my training out there, both, both at OBC at Oma, Oma Bible Church for the three years and out in Philadelphia, um, 
to, to have seven years basically back to back of really intense training for ministry. Um, uh, I, there were probably moments when I did not appreciate that. I can almost guarantee that. But uh, looking back on it now, I, I feel like that was a really good period of growth and, um, and learning. Yeah. Um, so it kept us busy and now we're settled here uh, in a very quiet community, Edgerton, Minnesota. And uh, we absolutely love it. Love it here. Yeah, no, praise God. Matter of fact, you're not too far away from me. I'm in Pease, Minnesota. <laughs> so I'm actually wondering, Scott, uh, if you'd be willing to talk about your time at Westminster and just how rewarding that was for you and kind of as you were transitioning into uh, ministry in the CRC and kind of how you knew that you wanted to be ordained to gospel ministry in the CRC, kind of in the midst of going to Westminster, if you'd be willing to share that. Yeah, um, I think Westminster was a time where, you know, I heard another student say this, and um, and I think it's accurate. He said, you know, I he did not say this from a place of pride. It, it might sound prideful in the wrong context, but he says, I haven't learned anything new at Westminster, but I have been polished in the things that I was already taught. And what he means is, he knew the Reformed Confessions, the Westminster Standards, and the Three Forms um, going in. And so it wasn't like light bulbs were going off all over the place in terms of Reformed theology there. But what was happening was that things were getting really honed in and polished, and a lot of precision was coming. And I think that's analogous to, to what I would say, too, is that it, it really added um, depth and um, hopefully fruitfulness uh, to be able to, to know what you believe and why you believe it and to be articulate and fluent on those kinds of things. Um, uh, I think that was a real, a real help to me, um, to actually get at Willie's question of, uh, my call to the ministry in the CRC. You know, I, I found myself wondering, like I said earlier of, you know, to be, to go through Louis Burkhoff's systematics when you're 20 plus years old, and, and to not really have any, have any depth there in the sense of um, it seemed all very new um, in terms of a depth that I had not been face-to-face with. It, uh, it was really enlightening for me, and uh, I found myself saying, where has this been? This, this is such good, um, rich theology. It is so good at pointing to Christ, the hope of glory. And I found myself not lamenting, that might be too strong, but just um, feeling very encouraged and um, sparked to say, to have a theologically driven uh, ministry. Um, to say, you know, these, these confessions, these reformed confessions, uh, the truths of the gospel that they highlight, this is not stuff to be embarrassed about, to, be, to, to tuck away in a corner and to let get uh, all dusty. It, it's, it's so unbelievably helpful for the life of the church. Um, if, you, if you understand um, biblical theology, systematic theology, pastoral theology, all of it, um, your ability to, um, to speak into people's lives and to engage with them um, when they're in the hospital or at the nursing home or when their uh, loved one has just recently died, um, premarital counseling, pastoral, it, you, there's so many hats that you wear in ministry, and you have to be able to 
um, to navigate between those things very quickly. And you don't have time necessarily to stop and to think through and to go read a couple of chapters in a couple of books. Um, it's what I call panic reading when you don't know the answer, but you know where to find it. And you say, let me get back to you. And you go and you panic and you read a couple of chapters. Um, you don't always have time to do that. And so I think the harder the ministry training is uh, and the higher the standards are for ordination, I think the better. I think the church benefits when the bar is extremely high for who uh, is entrusted uh, with God's blood-bought sheep. Um, if, if he laid down his life, if he gave his own precious blood for no other institution other than his own bride, then that bride needs to be cared for really well. And the, the bar, I think, should be set as high as possible. Now, that's going to thin things out, and you're going to have vacant churches. Um, but I think long-term, it's good for the church to have ministers who, one, feel extremely sure of their call to ministry, but also who will not cross their fingers behind their backs um, when they're asked if they believe the Reformed confessions. Uh, you want men of integrity and honesty in those pulpits who will um, uh, as Steve Lawson has said, give me some men who know the truth. Amen. You don't have to slam the pulpit, but you might want to. <laughs> Slamming the pulpit's all right every once in a while, isn't it? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that, uh, this will get me into trouble, but, um, uh, some, when a, when a newer church sometimes will have a music stand instead of a pulpit, it just completely takes away that possibility to really thump the <laughs> authority. That's true. <laughs> Everything's going to fall on the floor. Yeah, thumping a music stand is not near as effective as thumping a, a pulpit. <laughs> no. no, you're going to have a big piece, of, big piece of furniture up there to do that. Yeah. Well, I'd be curious, Scott, what was it? So you went to Westminster East, um, yeah. which seems to, I don't know a ton about Westminster East, but I know there's some, seems like there's pretty strong ties there with OPC, PCA. Yep. And so what was it that, prevent maybe not prevented you but drew you back to ministry in the crc when you had been going to a non-denominational church and then an opc church what brought you back to the crc you know i i never i never actually considered going anywhere else in terms of denominational call um i i knew i i wanted to serve a a solid reformed confessionally minded crc church upon graduation um and so, yeah, the broader outlook and the, the wider landscapes, um, even then, was starting to show a lot of cracks. Um, and I think those have even widened in the last couple of years. Um, but at the time, I said to myself, you know, I, I wanted a place to go where their theology was public uh, in the sense of this is what our faculty believes. And they affirm these things, and all these things are public documents, public confessions of the Reformed faith. That was really appealing to me. Um, and the, the emphasis on biblical theology and the tradition of Gerhardus Voss, another CRC um, connection, um, the apologetics of Van Til. There you go again with another CRC connection. So it's fascinating when you look at the Westminster history and the early history of the OPC is how intertwined these two denominations were. Uh, for so many years before things unraveled, um, that you have Ned Stonehouse and Cornelius Van Til and, um, and Gerhardus Voss and, uh, and R.B. Kuyper. All these men are, are just cross, 
uh, pollinating in, in Philadelphia and the OPC in Westminster. So I really wanted to take that training and to put it to good work uh, and to be of some small usefulness, I think, in the Lord's church. So I think my time out there, our time out there, um, was, was really helpful to be introduced. I had never heard of the OPC before I went out there. Um, I had no connection with that. Um, there are not as many in the Midwest, at, I mean, in Nebraska specifically, as there are in uh, other states. Um, but we loved our time. We just loved our time out there. Um, and so um, I think the church that we are in now here at First CRC in Edgerton uh, reminds me a lot of those kinds of places that we were, hmm. um, the two OPC churches that we were in, in Pennsylvania specifically, um, just in terms of its uh, love for the word. Um, there's nothing that warms a preacher's heart than uh, more than uh, when you hear the pages rustling in the pews as people are, are following with you and reading along with you and turning the pages and um, love for the Reformed confessions, uh, Reformed worship, Reformed church government. Um, you know, it's been said a lot, and, uh, and I think it's right that, you know, Reformed theology is so much more than just the five points of Calvinism. Um, yeah. You have a whole system of truth, a whole system of doctrine, and um, it's nice to meet in place that, uh, that, will, uh, that will affirm that and, and take that to the, to the last day. So, yeah. Amen. Well, what uh, as someone who's kind of grown up in the CRC then and now um, you just said, you know, you've kind of always felt called to do ministry in the CRC. What are what are some of the strengths you think of the Christian Reformed Church? Yeah, I think I think the, some of the strengths are just our confessional and theological heritage. Um, you know, you more of it is being translated now um, to non uh, Dutch speakers like myself. But, you know, the, the treasure trove of that Dutch reformed confessional theology with, uh, with Abraham Kuyper and uh, Louis Burkhoff and Herman Bavink and Gerhardus Voss, um, I think that, that, that history and that legacy is so, um, uh, so precious and valuable and so worth keeping and fighting for. Um, so I love it, all these books that are being translated into English that you can read Bob Inc. now in a way that you never could have even 20 years ago. Um, mm. and, and to have access to that, I think, is a huge, uh, a huge blessing, uh, that confessionally reformed theology. Um, I think the other, I think another positive um, is the, at least the impulse, um, if maybe, even if we haven't always necessarily done it well, in my opinion, but the impulse to try to um, have a have a Christian faith that 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 flows into every nook and cranny of your life, but also in the public square too. Um, you know, we can, we can kind of critique and say, well, that's getting too specific, because it's arguing for specific policies. Or maybe that's too vague of a statement, because it's just general deism kind of thing. I think the impulse to say, you know, um, Christ is Lord over all, um, and that that a reformed confessional orthodox system of belief can and should uh, be taken into modern public life, I think is a is a good balance and a good thing to strike. Like I said, do I think we've always done that 
well, probably not. I think we've probably gotten too specific or we've gotten too vague. Um, and you'd, you'd maybe like to see more of that, um, the, the death and resurrection of Christ being carried into the public square, not just a generic faith. Um, but I think the impulse to say, no, our reformed faith applies to everything because Christ is Lord uh, overall. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one ruler over all the kings of the earth, as Revelation 1 says. And so that's going to have implications for, for the public square, um, for uh, vocation, what you do Monday through Friday, Monday to Saturday as a, as a uh, place of work. Um, how you think about school and all, the, all these different things. It's, it's so multifaceted. Um, so I think those would be some of the positives that I would see, um, uh, in the, in the CRC historically. Yeah. Well, and I, I've always, I've been kind of fond of saying, I, I really appreciate the, I don't it's hard to explain, but like the flavor of Dutch reformed theology there, there's something, you know, when I first, actually, when I first kind of came to the reformed faith, I didn't come to it. Um, through a CRC church, either actually, I grew up in a CRC church, but I came to it through John Piper. Hmm. And so I kind of um, came to the Reformed faith studying the Reformed Baptists. And then even my, my undergraduate program was at a, at a Baptist uh, college. And so we, uh, our systematic theology was all through Wayne Grudem. And, uh, and so, you know, Grudem's got a lot of good stuff. But, but then I started reading some of, well, actually Grudem himself said, basically my, my systematic theology is just a reworking of Burkhoff and Bavink hmm. um, with a Baptist twist, obviously. So there's a few spots where he disagrees with them, but, but if you start going through his systematic theology, he is just following right along the lines of Burkhoff and Bavink. But when you read Burkhoff and when you read Bavink, there's just a different flavor there from the Reformed Baptist that and it's hard to put my finger on, but I think it has some of that, um, some of the connection with the Baptists are going to tend to be, not always, but tend to be a little more separationist, where the Dutch Reformed have that kind of Kuyperianism in where we're engaging with culture. And you can, you can get that flavor kind of flowing through all of the different systematic theologies that we're reading and the Dutch Reformed writers. Yeah, and I, I think that's helpful. You know, I haven't had time to read it just because I've uh, been busy with so many other things, but um, the the new uh, critical edition, the critical biography of, of Herman Bobbing by James Eglinton, professor over at the University of Edinburgh. Um, he's brought this out in a number of interviews of, you know, uh, it, used to, it used to be very common to think of two Bobbings, of like a modern Bobbing, who was trying to interact with the world uh, in a modern way. And then you have the orthodox, like confessional Bob Inc. And this is the, the straight lace confessional guy. And these two are always in some kind of tension. And Bob Inc. never really knew who he was as it goes. And uh, in the interviews that I've listened to with Dr. Eglinton, he says, no, he actually did a, such a good job, Bob Inc. did, of holding those things together. And um, it's been said in another place, um, no less by Tim Keller, I think, um, that Bob Inc. is a better Kuiper than Kuiper. Um, yes. <laughs> um, and so I think if you're looking for a model, and like I'm, I am no expert, and like I said, I have not had time to crack open that biography yet. Um, but I think if you're looking for a model for, for what, does, what does confessional reformed orthodoxy look like, 
that you don't give an inch on that. And yet it, it doesn't retreat and run for the hills in a very modernistic, pluralistic society, but runs right towards it and engages with that reformed confessional orthodoxy. From what everything I'm hearing and reading, uh, Bob Inc. would just be a good model uh, for ministers and for churches to think through how do you do that? Because the churches right now, it feels like we, we're going to have to start thinking about that uh, yesterday to, to learn how to engage and to teach uh, our congregational members. How do you engage as a confessionally reformed Christian, not giving anything away on that front, and yet at the same time, don't run for the hills, which is the easy answer and the easy solution. How do you, how do you be, in Dr. Evanson's words, how do you be modern and orthodox at the same time? Yeah, amen. Yeah, and I highly recommend that that new biography of Bob Inc. That was uh, that was a phen- I read it last year, and it's on my to do my to read list again for this year uh, to go through it because it's very well done. And uh, well, and I I've I've told people I remember the first time I read Bob Inc. I remember reading him and saying, "There's something here that I need." You know, just a, a tone, a flavor, a way he handles subjects. There's something I need to learn from here. And so I've been, I, I, I haven't made it all the way through all four volumes of a systematic the, theology, but I'm just kind of slowly plugging my way through a few pages here every day just to kind of get that flavor in. But, but then too, as you said, uh, Bovink's a better Kuiper than Kuiper. I mean, as, as you read through Bovink's uh, systematic theology, you see where Kuiper got everything. I mean, I know he and Kuiper were contemporaries, but they interacted with each other a lot. Um, but you also see Van Til. You, I mean, he's he's a better Van Til than Van Til, I think, mm. in a lot of ways about how to interact with apologetics and and presuppos- presuppositional truth and all of that. That's all in Bovink as well, and even a lot of Voss. I mean, there all those guys were reading oh, Bovink. Yeah. He really laid the groundwork for all of these theologians um, in the future. Yeah, if I remember right, I I remember hearing an interview that said, you know. Bob Inc. And, and Voss were not just colleagues professionally. They were like childhood uh, friends uh, that they, they knew each other for a long time um, and had correspondence throughout their careers. And so, yeah, you see that flavor in both of them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, going back to what's positive, I mean, just the legacy and the history. And, um, and we've probably lost a little bit of that in the CRC. Um, others might say a lot of that, and I think they'd have warrant to say that. But um, yeah, I'd be curious. I mean, I, I did not go to Calvin, uh, seminary, um, uh, other than the little bit that I had to do for the EPMC program, but I'd be curious the, the graduates there of, um, how much of that do they have in their, in their toolbox of, yeah, you know, I've read Voss and Bob Inc and Kuiper and Burkhoff and Calvin. Um, I don't know how to answer that, but, uh, yeah. I would say, uh, from my experience, I graduated from Calvin. Um, I got a flavor of bobbing there. And, uh, and I remember, well, I shouldn't throw it, but I remember in my systematic theology classes, we read, we read Calvin's institutes and they said, well, it'd be a shame to study systematic theology at Calvin theological seminary and not read Calvin. But it was kind of like, this is just the mandatory thing we have to do. Now, that could have been tongue-in-cheek on their part, but 
but that was about it actually i on my own went out and grabbed voss and van till there was no voss at, at calvin and i never heard anything about van till real a little bit um in in an apologetics class but actually i was the one bringing up van till all the time in <laughs> in apologetics because i think he's so good and so uh, yeah i think we've walked away from that a little bit um i've told people it's a shame where i'm going to get uh to hear more to learn more about voss and van till is well it's coming out of the opc the reformed forum right they've got a ton of stuff about Gerhardus Voss and a ton of stuff about Van Til. They just love those guys. And I'm thinking they're CRC boys and, and we don't talk about them enough here. And we're not putting out their material. We're not, you know, producing content, talking about them. It's, I got to go to the OPC to do that. And that, that makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. We have a, we have a great legacy and, and, and we need to, we need to find ways to introduce it. And, you know, you can do that through Burkhoff, but also the the one that was just published by uh, Westminster Seminary Press, the the wonderful works of God by Bobbing. That's that's the mm. way, like the, our reasonable faith. That is such a helpful, so clear one volume uh, systematic theology that I I think is just um, invaluable um, as as a and I and I think the size could scare people away. I mean, it's a good it's a good thick volume, smaller than Burkhoff in terms of just the size, but um, I, I would feel comfortable giving that away and saying, I bet you can handle this and say, this is so rich and so good. And um, this could be a, a lifelong companion uh, in terms of understanding your faith and, um, and the reformed faith. So, yeah, no, fair point. You've kind of been highlighting just a little bit of uh, what I was going to ask next. Uh, you guys are talking about how we've kind of walked some of these things back and kind of been a little bit uh, maybe negligent of our reformed history and reformed heritage a little bit. Scott, I was going to ask you what what kind of things do you see in the CRC that have kind of troubled you or maybe made you not so proud to be a part of the CRC? Mm. I, I think one of them that would dovetail with what we've been talking about is just our identity. Of, I mean, I think the question of who are we is a is a mm -hmm. really important question. Um, um, you know what you do flows from who you are and how you think about yourself. Um, and so are we a confessionally reformed church? Are we a, an American evangelical denomination? I, I, I don't really know the answer to that question. So I, I guess I'm, I'm playing the card of raising questions instead of answering them. But um, mm. I, I think that, I think, I think understanding who we are, what's our identity um, I'd be interested to hear how other people outside the denomination would describe the Christian Reformed Church. I think that'd be very illuminating um, and helpful to think through. Um, yeah, tr troubling things. I, I think, and it's been mentioned before, of you know the the doctrine of Scripture of of that. Sometimes it feels like I'm talking past people once in a while in terms of their views on scripture and, and what I would see as just our confessionally reformed uh, and biblical views of scripture, um, that it's infallible and inerrant and living and active and um, sufficient for everything. It settles, um, it settles the disputes in the church. It, it, it is the authority to which we turn. Um, and, and sometimes I don't find that I'm on the same page with others in the CRC about that. 
um, and you feel like you're just kind of talking past each other and you're maybe using some of the same language, um, but language is slippery at times and you kind of have to define your terms. And so I, I think that's one. Um, and I think that because of how foundational that is, that that works itself into so many different areas in theology and practice. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Scott Mullenberg. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Thank you.